this series came together as a direct result of our community on Instagram. When I first put out the call to interview Endo Warriors, I was honestly surprised at the response. I have a small IG account and I often think the algorithm works against me, but our community proved to be stronger. Admittedly, the idea for this series wasn't the beginning. In fact, it wasn't until a few interviews in that I realized I am simply orchestrating something our community has been working on for years. I created the space and you stepped in to fill it. To fill it with your powerfully heartbreaking and needing to be heard realities of living with endometriosis. It's what the online endo community has been doing raising awareness of this common disease most have never heard of, and calling out the systemic injustices we faced. The stories in It's Not Just a Bad Period series are difficult to listen to, and I want to keep it that way, because they aren't just stories, but they are the harrowing realities of each warrior that is bravely taking part. Although endometriosis was first identified over 160 years ago, substantial gaps in adequately addressing this disease remains. To pull from an article written by Frontiers in Global Women's Health, the National Institute of Health is the largest source of biomedical research funding globally, allocating 41.7 billion US dollars annually. In 2022, the expected funding allocation for endometriosis is $16 million, 0.038% of the budget. That's approximately $2 per patient per year being allocated. Compared to diabetes that affects a similar population, which received an estimated allocation of $31.30 per person assigned female at birth over 1,500% more than endometriosis. The total U.S. endometriosis economic burden is estimated to be as high as $78 to $119 billion annually. If endometriosis was funded by the NIH at the same level as diabetes with respect to the annual economic burden, endometriosis funding would need to increase to 298 to $455.3 million, rather than the current $16 million. As always, you can check my sources in the show notes and read the article for yourself. While these statistics are hard facts and glean towards the mountains of obstacles we're up against, they are just cold, soulless numbers. Don't get me wrong, like I said, they point to part of the problem they are in no way begin to scrape the surface of what it's actually like to live with endometriosis in a system that has chosen not to progress the treatment of a century-year-old disease. And it becomes blatantly obvious that a huge reason we suffer on average seven to ten years before even receiving a diagnosis is because of the lack of funding. But there's also another huge reason, and I'm honestly not sure which one is more sinister. I would say the second is more of a direct trauma to us warriors, and that is the medical gaslighting we endure even beyond diagnosis. 
Medical gaslighting happens when a healthcare professional, like a doctor, downplays or dismisses what a patient is telling them. This can manipulate the patient into thinking they are exaggerating their own symptoms or imagining them altogether. Experts define trauma as the experience of being left alone with one's pain. Endometriosis isn't different. Having to constantly explain our pain to medical doctors, family, and friends, and it still not being believed, is an isolating and traumatizing experience. What infuriates me even more is the ineffective and often damaging treatments passed off to us with false promises and not enough informed consent. Research shows that ablation is one of those ineffective and dangerous treatments. Yet, it's still being offered and in some cases is being presented to patients as if it is equal to excision surgery. Drugs like Lupron or Lissa and hormonal birth control being prescribed like a first defense when the research shows these medications do not treat or suppress the growth of endometriosis, but rather, for some patients, can help manage certain symptoms. However, warriors that choose not to partake in these Band-Aid management options get treated like they've done something wrong. I personally was asked by a doctor, well then what do you want me to do? When I told him that birth control made my depression and suicidal ideation worse. It's these traumas, these medical injustices I was referring to that feel absolutely sinister. I wish I could say these circumstances only exist for a few unlucky warriors, but that's not true. This is the typical experience of an endometriosis warrior, and it's time the world hears it. The stories you are about to hear are the personal experiences of each individual, and the views expressed by the guests are their own. Please listen with discretion as this series contains mature content that could possibly be triggering to some individuals. Mention of depression, suicidal ideation, medical trauma, sexual assault, disordered eating, and other sensitive topics may come up. This is It's Not Just a Bad Period. I can. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, good. <laughs> well, welcome, Julie. How are you today? <clears throat> I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on to the Best Worst Club podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and that you're willing to share your story and be a part of our community. Absolutely. Awesome. Do you want to give like just a little introduction? Tell our listeners just a little bit about you before we go ahead and hop into your story. Sure. Um, my name is Julie and I live in Northwest Arkansas um, in the Ozark Mountains. It's very beautiful here. Uh, I'm 39 years old and um, I'm married and have a 13 year old daughter. So we're in the thick of it with teenage 
drama. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's about it. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, 13 is a, that's a tough year. I remember being 13 and feeling like I was crazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. We've all been there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, where would you like to start today in your Indo journey? Um, I guess, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, I think I said to you when I reached out, like I'm newly diagnosed, officially diagnosed, but I have suspected endometriosis for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and 10 of those years was, were, was actively speaking to, um, physicians and practitioners about symptoms, but just kind of getting the runaround that is common, uh, with endometriosis. Um, so when I, I began menstruating when I was 15 and I don't remember ever not having pain with a period. Um, but my, you know, my mom told me that was normal, that period cramps were normal. And, you know, I would take Tylenol and I mean, I remember instantly getting a heating pad that was just for my room for that time of the month. And so I just accepted that as normal um, because that's, you know, that's what my mom told me. Um, And probably maybe a year into having a cycle, I started having right lower quadrant pain very frequently. And we sought out you know, pediatrician and made our way through the rounds, uh, eventually getting to a gynecologist who said, oh, she has ovarian cyst. That's what's causing this pain. We're going to put her on birth control and it's going to fix everything. It's going to control the cyst. It'll control the pain. It's going to control the heavy flow. You know, all this will solve everything. And so at about 16, I was put on um, birth control pills. And I would say for the most part, those things were regulated a bit on birth control pills. Um, Then I started getting much sicker and um, we kind of went down this path again. And turns out after about a year and a half process, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is in my ileum, which is the end, the last part of your small intestine. So that would indicate pain on the right lower quadrant of your abdomen. Um, And so those two things stick out to me in my mind as, um, you know, was, was, was the beginning of that endometriosis, um, even, even as a 15 year old, which I think for a long time in the endo world, physicians thought that wasn't possible, but we now know that really young girls can present with endometriosis. Um, and so I, I kind of wondered, was my Crohn's disease an incidental finding, um, when we were kind of going down this journey of gynecological issues. So I began treatment at 17 for Crohn's disease and, you know, for the majority of my life have, um, dealt with that chronic illness. And when I, I guess probably about 10 years ago, I started, having more frequent pelvic pain, painful periods, um, not necessarily irregular, but just uh, different 
like different types of flow and at different types of the month, but maybe just one period a month. And um, I, at the time, worked, I'm a healthcare professional, and at the time I worked in a family practice clinic where I had access to um, like lab, lab, a laboratory. And when this pain would come on, I would think, oh, I'm getting a UTI because I would get this pelvic pressure and fullness and feel like I had to frequently urinate and then would have relief after urinating. So I was like, this is, I'm having UTIs would dip, you know, a urine sample and it would maybe show slight infection, send it for a culture and there would be nothing, but I would still be given antibiotics for these symptoms, assumedly a UTI. And I did that song and dance for 10 years. And um, I finally, I mean, I would go to urgent care all the time when these little flare-ups would happen. They were real sporadic. They would, they would happen monthly or they would happen weekly, or then I'd go months without them. And I just never could figure out what was going on. Um, so let me think here. Um, Oh, I would also have flank pain in my back, which was another like, oh, this is urinary. So I finally sought out, or I, I actually I had gone to the, you know, urgent care or my primary care physician so often for these UTIs. Um, they were like, let's go see a urologist. And so I ended up seeing two different urologists, one who was like, oh, you have interstitial cystitis. And he, you know, gave me a, the diet to follow and some preventative medicine, went and did all that. And of course, nothing changed. Then was referred to a different urologist and, and he was very attentive. And anytime I had these episodes, I call them my fake UTIs, <laughs> like with quotation marks, because um, I kind of knew they weren't UTIs, but I didn't know what else they could be. And he... Um, Anytime I would get that pain, I would go straight to his office and he would do a urine and we would do all this testing and it would always come back negative. And so I actually ended up doing a cystogram and urogram with him. And he was like, I don't think any of this is bladder related. Like your urinary system is fine. I don't really know what to tell you. And that was about five years ago. And that's when I was like, okay, I've exhausted all these avenues maybe this is endometriosis, which I didn't know a ton about. Um, he, at the time that urologist agreed and was like, you should go see a gynecologist. Well, of course, I had been reporting endometriosis symptoms for years at my, all my annual visits. And How I was told, did, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just wanting to ask you a quick question. Yeah, so, go ahead. How did it, like, how did endometriosis even come onto your radar? Like, what, how did you know about that? Probably just Googling symptoms. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I knew as being a healthcare professional, I knew that was a thing. Um, but I think just being so frustrated over these UTIs and the symptoms and none of it adding up. And so I just would read and, and research and and Google and just try to get information. And, um, and at that point, no doctor had brought endometriosis up as like something that you might have been dealing with. Correct. Oh, no. no, 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 no. Oh. And, th and this had been 10 years, but I had been told maybe it was 
um, you know, the interstitial, interstitial cystitis, uh, pelvic inflammatory disease, maybe even kidney stones had lots of CTs and tests to see if there were like tiny secret hidden kidney stones somewhere, um, pelvic congestion syndrome. I mean, I'd been told all these things that could have been, but nobody ever said endometriosis. Um, so being a chronic, another, a chronic illness patient already, I was like, surely to goodness, I cannot have endometriosis and Crohn's disease. Like, how's that even possible? <laughs> and so I just kind of put it kind of in the back of my mind. And when I wasn't having these little flare ups, would just kind of ignore it. And then of course the flare ups would happen again. And I'd go down this rabbit hole of trying to figure this out. Um, anytime I would say at my annual to my gynecologist, who was, is a well-known and respected gynecologist in the town I live in, you know, she would just say, well, we really should just put you on birth control. Backing up a little bit. I had stopped taking birth control after, from the age of like 15 to about 30, I had stopped taking it because I found out they were causing, um, really severe headaches and, Mm -hmm. So I bailed on the birth control and was like, I'm never doing that again. I didn't realize through that time period they were causing headaches, which of course I was seeking out, you know, help from a neurologist for the headaches. And anyways, so I was like, I'm not doing birth control. Um, And so this, the gynecologist would just always say, you need to be on birth control. And I was like, but they called me horrendous migraines for years. Like, I don't want to go back and do that. Well, but that would probably be what you need to do. And it's just like, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so that was really frustrating. And for, you know, what I've learned in the Indo community is everyone's story is so like that, where your pain or your experience is kind of being told to you like you're not experiencing it. And that got really confusing in my head. And then yeah. you kind of trick your, then you kind of trick yourself and you're like, maybe, maybe I'm not having these symptoms or, you know, maybe I am making this up. I mean, it's really tricky how hearing that all the time, then you start to internalize it and believe it. And that got very frustrating. Um, so I, at that point, I sought out a new um, gynecologist Um I, I started doing things like acupuncture and, uh, pelvic physical therapy, um, and probably briefly in pelvic physical therapy, the therapist was like, you know, maybe you have, um, scar tissue. Cause I had a cesarean section with my daughter and she was like, maybe on your scar from your cesarean section, you, you know, you've got adhesions and scar tissue and that's, what's causing all this coupled with. Uh, Crohn's disease pain. And so when I did physical therapy, we never really knew what we were treating, except just pelvic pain and these urinary symptoms, flank pain, things like that. Um, So she was kind of like, you know, maybe have you mentioned to anybody? And I'm like, well, I mean, I tell my symptoms and no one ever says endometriosis. And so when I switched to a different gynecologist, um, it took probably about a year with her going over symptoms and things. And she finally said, you know, I think your symptoms align with endometriosis. 
And she was like, but the only way to diagnose that is to have surgery. And kind of, an, and that, that would have been in 2020 when 2019, 2020, when this gynecologist was saying that. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, we had the pandemic and COVID-19 became a thing. And as a immunocompromised Crohn's patient, I contracted COVID in December of 2020. And in January of 21, uh, learned that I had developed long COVID, which I'm still dealing with today. I'm over two years with long COVID. And so once I got that diagnosis and was really sick for a really long time, I, I had, I stopped tracking my symptoms, my, with, I stopped tracking my periods. I mean, I just was like, whatever this pelvic thing is, I cannot deal with it right now. And I put all my energy into tackling long COVID, which shout out to all long COVID patients. We know so little about it. I mean, it's similar um, to endo in this way. All we have is ourselves. Like we just don't have the medical community just doesn't have the answers. And so I spent a lot of energy trying to figure this out with long COVID. And so all the pelvic stuff out the window. Right. Um, have so much capacity to deal with a certain amount of things. And Right. Right. Well, and it's like, I, I mean, I was like, I can't now have long COVID and Crohn's disease and possibly endometriosis slash all these other things I've been told it may be like, what in the world? How, how is all, how's this all just falling apart? Um, so yeah, the gaslighting that you do to yourself is intense. And then, you know, when you, when you get it from practitioners, it, it amplifies it times a hundred. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that point up because I think one, like, you know, society in general needs to know about that, but two warriors really need to be reminded like over and over again, that that is real. And we really are being gaslit in what we're feeling like we're the right ones. We know what's going on with our body and know how difficult this is. And so I'm glad you said that because it, it is something that I want to like reiterate. Yeah. And when you're, when you're in it, I mean, when you're telling a doctor, this is happening to me and they're saying, oh, take this birth control pill or don't eat gluten or whatever they're suggesting, all of those things are valid and can be beneficial. But when that's all that's being said and you're even doing them, and still nothing like it just is a really it feels really you feel really defeated in this cycle um so I am happy to report that I have done a lot of work with my long COVID and worked with my uh, primary care physician and we've gotten my myself kind of on a better path there so probably um in the summer in like June of Last summer of 22, I thought, I think I've got a grip on long COVID. I'm going to go back into figuring out this pelvic thing because I had a couple of those flare-ups and, you know, would run to the urgent care, say, I've got a UTI and, and these flare-ups, they would make me feel really bad in bed, on a heating pad, you know, the antibiotics I was given, but constant Tylenol, um, Motrin, you know, I mean, just feel really bad. Um, and so those had kind of started and I was paying attention to them again. And I thought, I'm going to, 
I'm going to start thinking about this. And um, I started, I guess, got more into the Indo community, um, listening to podcasts, listening, Googling, finding groups, um, like people that were on Instagram and um, just kind of piecing it together. And lo and behold, a good girlfriend of mine um, told me about a friend of hers who also had endometriosis and um, who had sought out a specialist uh, in a different state from the state that I live in. And I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like that should be my next step. I mean, I've exhausted PCP. I've exhausted my, you know, two gynecologists in my town. I've exhausted, like, I was even going to my GI doctor to talk about these symptoms. So like, I think maybe this is the next step. And so I just kind of started thinking about that and planting that seed. And um, finally bit the bullet and called this physician's office. Um, He's about three hours from where I live. And this was in like August and he could see me in October. So I grabbed the appointment in October. And, you know, when they were asking me, what I was needing to be seen for, I was like, well, I don't really know. (laughs) I think maybe endometriosis, um, but just chronic like pelvic pain issues. Um, So I, October, come October 22, I go and see this physician and he was fantastic. Um, I will add that we, in the state of Arkansas where I live, I had asked my gynecologist and asking around for like endometriosis specialists in Arkansas and we have none, zero. And um, my gynecologist said, you could maybe go to um, our capital city, which is Little Rock. They have the University of Arkansas for medical sciences there. And they said they have a fertility clinic and some of their doctors are familiar with endometriosis. And so that's why I was like, wait, that doesn't fit or I don't feel like that fits. And so that's why this doctor in a different state was making more sense to me. And and when I went to see him, that was confirmed. I mean, he was so knowledgeable. He was attentive and everything I said, he was like, oh yeah, you've got endometriosis. Keep in mind, even hearing that from a specialist, I was still saying, oh, but you don't really know. Like, how can you guarantee, tell me? And he's like, well, the only way I can guarantee and tell you is surgery. He's like, but you need surgery. He was like, at your age, you're finished with your reproductive organs. Um, I mean, he was like, you really, you need a, a hysterectomy and we need to go in and, and excise the endometriosis lesions. And in October of 22, I was like, absolutely not. I cannot handle that. I'm dealing with all this long COVID journey. Like, I just, I can't even imagine surgery. And he said, okay, that's fine. And he gave me a long list of other options, lots of different, you know, medications and hormonal things to try and stifle any endo growth. But he was like, ultimately, the answer for you is surgery. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to take all this information home, kind of think about it. And, you know, can I be in touch? And he said, absolutely. Um, By probably by early, no, probably by November, just in a month span of time, I had two more of those flare up episodes. And I was like, forget it. I'm just going to do it. This has been 10, 12 years, no answers. 
this guy was the first guy that really, this doctor was the first doctor that really um, confirmed my suspicion and my symptoms. And so I called his office and they said, okay, we, he can see you um, December 30th. And so I am today, three weeks post-op hysterectomy. Um, so it was like, (laughs) yeah, it was really quick, but I just, well, really quick that month. I mean, it had been so many years that I just, I just was like, okay, I have to do this. But, and I feel like this is really important until I was woken from surgery and my husband told me, he said, you have stage three endometriosis. I was terrified that I was going to wake up and be told, no, no endometriosis. I don't know what's wrong with you. Because that had been my experience for so many years. And so to wake up and have, you know, all my symptoms make sense and to feel validated and understood was really refreshing. Um, Not that I'm excited that I have stage three endometriosis by any means, um, but that was like the validation I had been searching for for so long. Um, So yeah, so I'm three weeks post hysterectomy and uh, I understand as we all do in this community that surgery is not a cure for endometriosis. Um, But I feel like for me, it was a good place to kind of start really my journey with endo. Um, even though it's been going on for, for so long. Um, so yeah, so hit me with some questions. <laughs> wow. For one, I did not realize that you were literally three weeks post on. Yeah. So brand new. Like, how, yeah. how are you? Are you doing okay? Or- yeah, I think so. I think physically I'm where I should be. Um, it was laparoscopic and vaginal. Uh, he removed everything. He, well, he left my ovaries, which I had asked for him to do just to not have to deal with, um, you know, hormonal changes, menopause type changes. Um, he said he would leave them if he could, but if they were too bad of shape, he would remove them. Um, which wasn't the case, but he did have to clean them of lots of endo lesions. Um, so everything, you know, everything was gone except my ovaries and, uh, compared to a C-section, it's been a walk in the park. Um, so that, that was kind of my bar of, I I know what a C-section feels like, and this has been way easier. Um, so yeah, physically, I think I'm doing good. A lot of resting, a lot of five minute walks in the hallway of my house. Um, but I, I'm where I should be three weeks post-op for sure. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I hope that your recovery continues to go smoothly and that, you know, you give yourself the time that you need. Cause I, feel like that's one of the things when I talk to warriors is like the hardest part. I feel like your, uh, your mind gets ready a lot sooner than your body does. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, I'm absolutely so back into life, especially because we're so debilitated for so long leading up to surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I, patience is not a virtue of mine. So <laughs> I have to remind myself a lot. This takes time and it's tricky too there haven't been a lot of external signs that I've had this major abdominal surgery. Um, of course my abdomen is tender. 
but I've not had massive bleeding. I've had minimal like spotting. So there's not a ton of signs saying, hey, slow down. Your body is recovering from this. And so I have to, you know, consciously remind myself, like, even though I don't see it on the outside, like there's a lot going on on the inside and I've got to let my body take the time and, and reset. Um, so yeah, patience, patience is key. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, so much happened inside and it's hard to like really comprehend that. Cause like you said, you have these tiny little like keyhole, you know, scars. And I remember looking at my stomach after surgery and being like, really, I went through all of this and this is what I have to show for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, there were some other things that you said throughout your journey that like struck me and being similar to not only my journey, but in, um, other warriors journeys that have like been on the podcast. And I just kind of wanted to, um, talk about some of those or maybe ask you some questions about some of those. Okay. So, um, what is going on with your Crohn's disease? Is that something that is still like you are definitely diagnosed with that or where is that right now? Yes, I am definitely diagnosed with that at 17. Um, I had a, a colonoscopy biopsy. We have, you know, factual evidence of that disease. However, as an adult, I have many times said to my GI doctor who I love, are you sure I have this disease? <laughs> um, you know, kind of like endo. It's just one of those things that takes a really long time to accept. And I was really young when I was diagnosed with that. Um, and there's not a lot that a teenager can really like process and accept as a teenager, like some of that has to come later, I think, or at least for me, it did um, with maturity and more understanding of the actual disease I was diagnosed with. Um, so acceptance came, came later. Um, but yes, I, I have Crohn's disease. I have a wonderful GI that has been with me for 20 years and um, I'm on a medication that has kept me in remission for about a year now. Um, so I had to do some medication hopping, but I'm on a, I'm on a really good track with my Crohn's at the moment. And that really also was the other factor in pushing me forward to pursue this endo track because, you know, Crohn's is at bay. I'm good there. I had the mental and physical energy to, um, pursue, pursue figuring out these pelvic symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that makes so much sense. And wow. Um, I can imagine that that is a lot to deal with Crohn's on top of endometriosis. Well, you know, it's in the same spot, so it's confusing. Yeah. And and that's what I would tell my physical therapist when I was doing pelvic therapy. Like she'd be like, well, is the pain you're having today Crohn's or something else? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's just a pain that I have all the time. So, I mean, so it was, it's always really hard to differentiate the two, but now that I've been in remission for this, especially this past year, you know, any of my Crohn's pain symptoms are pretty much absent. So I've been able to say, Oh, for sure. This isn't Crohn's. I'm not having active Crohn's disease right now. So, so this time of remission has been really helpful in solving this other piece. 
Wow. That's super interesting. That it makes a lot of sense. Like you needed that one to kind of settle down to actually like differentiate like, okay, this is, these are different symptoms from the Crohn's disease. Right. Right. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and I brought that up because I actually started my endo journey at a gynecologist or at a GI doctor saying like, I'm (laughs) sure I have Crohn's disease like this. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, one of my like most debilitating symptoms was like everything that had to do with my digestive tract, like eating became Mm -hmm. almost impossible. Going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. was like so painful. I would literally have like anxiety attacks before going. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, Yeah, that that was part of your story as well. And then I really liked that you talked about the acceptance because that was something I know, like specifically for me, I struggled with big time. And I feel like I found like a different place within like the last like six months with it that has really helped me be able to, I don't know, like start to enjoy life again. Like even though I have endometriosis and I don't want it, there's still like a really beautiful life to live in between the flares. And that, Mm -hmm. but that, that was like hard for me to get to that place and really believe that and like be okay with that. So like, do how was that with getting the endometriosis diagnosis? Do you feel like in a way going through Crohn's disease, like helped you be able to process the endo better or was it just like a whole nother thing? I, well, I don't, you know, three weeks post-op, three weeks official diagnosis. So I don't even know if I've processed it so much yet. The way I kind of picture like chronic illness is like, I'm carrying this really heavy backpack. So I'm just going to toss that endometriosis in the backpack and like, I'll deal with it at some point. So I don't, that's probably not like the healthiest way to deal with things. Um, but, you know, it. I'm going to, I'm going to pull out that endo diagnosis and I'm going to really wrestle with that when I'm not recovering from this, you know, major surgery. Um, however, the validation piece, the confirmed answer and being listened to and being, you know, told this all makes sense and we, we can call it this, that piece is so big. Like that, I don't even, I think I'm still just like celebrating that piece. Hmm. not even gotten to the part yet where it's like okay how do I move forward because like I said I know surgery's not a cure and this isn't over I mean this journey will continue and I'm going to need to you know learn how to adapt my lifestyle to having endometriosis but for right now I'm just so happy that I found someone that was able to help me um it's just kind of been a, a validation and a victory for now yeah um hold on one second sorry microphone issue you're okay okay I love that I feel like okay I have a couple of questions but I also want to say that I'm so glad that we're doing this and you're talking about this because these are all the things that I struggled immensely with when I had my surgery like I went into excision surgery naively thinking for one, I didn't have the same understanding of endometriosis then as I do now. And mm-hmm. so I went into surgery with this mindset of like, I'm, I'm going to leave endo in the operating room and like get on. With yeah. my- and that like screwed me up so much in my recovery process and, and like 
I'm three years post excision surgery. And I, like I said, I literally just now feel like, you know, six months ago, I got to this place where like, okay, like, yep, this is, this is my life. There has to be space for this. And so like, how, how did you do that? Like, how did you have the perception and the like foresight to go into surgery with that mentality? Or do you feel like you did? Like, yeah, I did. I, I feel like I did. I, I think it's just from learning, um, getting, putting myself more into the Indo community. I started listening to your podcast and um, another podcast. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but when I would listen to these podcasts, I would be like, oh my gosh, this is me. Every person, like everybody's story. I'd be like, okay, check, check, check. That's me. However, at the same time, there would be some things where I'm like, well, that's not me. Like, you know, trouble uh, with infertility. Well, that's not me. Um, I I wouldn't say I had like super heavy, abnormally heavy uh, menstrual flow. Um, And that was always a common symptom that people would say. But I think just learning and uh, I think my surgeon also helped me understand like these things are all going to help. And they'll keep, you know, flares at bay for a while, but endometriosis continues to grow. And that's, I I think I just, I think I just was aware that that was the case. And it's a very, very common misconception um, that once you go into surgery, take it all out, that it's gone and won't ever come back. Like, I think that's commonly talked about and misunderstood. Mm. So I think just the education and the knowledge going in that this isn't going to solve everything forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I almost feel like, um, that there can even sometimes be a sense of shame or like embarrassment of being post-excision and still flaring or still having symptoms. Um, like I think like what you're talking about, that there is like a deep misunderstanding of like, if you have excision surgery with a true expert, you're going to be symptom free. And that's just right. Not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. It's not the case. Um, and even through this post-op recovery time, like when I still feel a similar pelvic pain, I, I'm, you know, my, I'm, on alert, like, oh gosh, is this post-op pain or is this continued? Like, did we miss a lesion? Is this, has it already grown back? Like, I mean, it's very, that would be very disappointing to go in and have surgery, think you're coming out quote unquote cured and then start having it all, you know, happen again. So um, yeah, that would be, that would be really discouraging. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's why I think it's so important uh, to go in with the right mindset. And I definitely think, you know, you did that. And I, I, I'm i I'm glad that we were able to talk about that because maybe somebody else is getting ready for excision surgery and they can pick that up and like take that with them, you know, get, you know, just already start working on your mindset because it is so life-changing. And um, I think like for me with my surgery, I kind of felt like, because my surgeon, that's all he does, you know, literally day in, day out, these 
endometriosis patient patients and like mm -hmm. the most severe cases. So sometimes I think there can even be like a, mm, a not like a callus, but like a you're just they're just so used to it. And right. you know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh you know, for you you go home after surgery and have to get back to your life and and you you aren't in the endometriosis field the way that a surgeon is and seeing it all the time. And so there's still like, I don't know, there was just so much aftermath of the mental of the like mental side for me of mm -hmm. coming through excision surgery. And I just think that it's really awesome. And I'm just really, really thankful that you were able to share that side of your experience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I really don't know. I, I don't remember if the surgeon talked to me about that. Um, I, I just don't remember. Like I said, when I had my first appointment with him and he was like, you need to have surgery. I was like, yeah, right. So I don't, I don't really know if I absorbed everything he told me in that appointment so mm -hmm. much. And then the next time I saw him was in, you know, pre-op ready to go back. So I'd spoken to him a few times, but the next time I saw him physically was just ready to go have it done. Um, so yeah. And that's another big thing. I had a lot of people ask me, you know, why are you going three hours away to have surgery, a hysterectomy? You could have that done here. And I searched high and low in my state of Arkansas and in our town for anyone who would do excisional endometriosis surgery. And I'd spent a lot of time learning about that and how that's the gold standard. Um, and no one, no one does it, no one locally and no one even in my state. And so I was like, if I'm going to do this, like, why not go three hours away and like do it in the best way possible? Um, I'm very lucky and very privileged that that's an option for me. You know, I'm able to go stay a few nights uh, in a different city and state and recover from a surgery. Um, but I, I was glad to find that distinction as I was learning about this process. Even, even my doctors around here, like when I would ask them about excisional endometriosis surgery, weren't familiar. So I don't know if that's new, newer information um, in the endo world, but yeah, I, I wanted to seek out the best that I could at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, and it's such a common thing. When I went to my local gynecologist after um, my excision surgery, like just for an annual exam type of thing, she literally was like, why did you go out of state to have surgery? Mm -hmm. Like I could have done the same thing. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, actually, no, like <laughs> not the same at all. And it's so like disheartening and like, upsetting it really is that that's the consensus in the medical field and that if you don't already know that as a patient the I mean that's what you're going to believe yeah no you kind of get stuck in the in the system if you don't know any better uh yeah that that's unfortunate yeah absolutely well, I give you so many props for like being such a self-advocate from the beginning and plugging into the Indo community and like using the resources that 
you know, that our community really creates for each other. I think that's awesome. And, and ultimately that's the goal of all of this, right? Like that's why Mm -hmm. we all share and tell our stories and join in this community. Yeah. Well, I just, I really resonated with when I would listen to patient stories on podcast, I just was like, you know, so many of these things I've experienced and felt. And if I can tell, you know, my story and it helps anyone, even one person like that feels, that feels encouraging. And like, you know, like we're, we're kind of getting through all this together and I'm helping contribute and give back. And if just one person, you know, can find some, a piece of this that makes sense to them, then that's, that's worthwhile to me. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same. And I know so many other people in our community to do too. And I think that's, it's just a really beautiful thing about our community that, uh, you know, society as a whole could benefit from. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, so I have one more question for you. Okay. How, how did you and where did you plug into the Indo community online? I know you said you like found some groups and saw some Instagram accounts. Could you just like talk about maybe like what your favorites were? Yeah. Um, I read the book, Know Your Indo by Jessica Moraine, I think is her name. And I think there were like some resources listed in her book. That was one of the first things that I did. Um, and then I read the book, The Doctor Will See You Now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those books I kind of read at the same time. And that probably kind of started the ball rolling into seeking out resources. Um, and then I would literally get on Instagram and just like search endometriosis and then go click on accounts and you know listen to some things or just follow along for a bit um podcasts like I said I remembered the other podcast was called in 16 years um I listened to that one and the one called the cycle and then yours the best worst club um and the endometriosis summit their Instagram page I followed it a lot and just just kind of went all in and trying to get as much information as I could, which is kind of my personality. I mean, I like, I like taking in information. So in that way, as a patient, as a chronically ill patient, like that serves to my advantage. Um, I don't mind doing those things. I like doing those things. So um, I would say those two books are really what kicked off my getting involved in the community. That's awesome. Those are all really great resources too. Yes. I, uh, I absolutely, I love, um, in 16 years or what's it, is that what it is? Uh, yes. Yeah. In 16 years. Their podcast. I love their podcast. I always end up laughing and crying and like the whole, you know, you just, like you said, it's just so important to feel seen and understood in this journey because the gaslighting is so real and you really do internalize it and most of our journeys are you know a decade long before we're actually hearing like yes you do have endometriosis and Mm -hmm. that just plays such a huge role in you know the way that we're able to go after treatment for ourselves and you know, incorporate it into our lives because it, you do have to go through this whole like process. And, uh, like, um, 
like you said, you kind of get stuck in the system a little bit. And mm-hmm. I just, I just think it's so important that uh, we do things like this podcast and get our stories out to show that, you know, like you said in the beginning, this isn't like a few of us are experiencing this. This is the typical experience of an Indo warrior. Yes. Which is, which is really crazy when you think about it. I mean, when I, when I say the words for 10 years, I've been dealing with these symptoms. It's crazy. Like that's crazy to think about. Uh, But it's even crazier to think that millions of women with endometriosis are in the same boat. Somebody maybe at the very beginning, the, the first year of their 10 and someone at the end. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It really is. It's a lot. And especially with how many people are affected by endo and we like in it and knowing that it takes so long to get diagnosed. I always think that the statistic of like, there's like, I think it's like a 198 million people are diagnosed with endometriosis. I, I feel like that has to be, it can't be accurate. Like there has to be more because it takes so long to get diagnosed. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And there's so many differential diagnoses. I mean, if I wasn't a healthcare professional and already a chronic illness patient, I mean, when I was told, you know, eight years ago that this was probably interstitial cystitis and I did the things to that were supposed to help that and it didn't help. I mean, some patients would just be like, okay, well, this is what I have. There's nothing that will help. And they just continue to suffer. So I don't know, I guess because of being active uh, in my own healthcare and, and seeing patients that I, uh, it's so important to be your own advocate. So important. Um, in our American healthcare system, it's just, it's really important to not solely rely on our practitioners and our physicians, but to really kind of get in there with them and help figure things out. Um, and that and takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of brain power and time and energy when on top of not feeling good um so yeah we're asking a lot of endometriosis patients for sure yes yes we are I love your perspective of uh, being a medical professional too I think that brings a really like a really interesting perspective to the podcast that we haven't actually had yet so I think thank you for that that's awesome yeah 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 I just I see patients a lot that um you know, don't, they don't know why, or they don't know how, or they don't know where, or they don't know when. And um, like we've already said, you can get lost in this giant system. And so the more, the more you can know and advocate for yourself, I think the, the further you can get and not get stuck in the system as much. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I feel like we have touched on some like really crucial points and some points that are are so common in every endo warrior's journey. And so I hope that whoever is listening to this, that they can take those things with them and feel comforted. Like in the fact that you're not alone in being gaslit and Mm -hmm. you're not alone in having to process everything that you have been through and getting diagnosed in itself is like something you have to process. Um, I also think it's the point of, being in a place where you have both the mental and physical capacity mm-hmm. to actually start advocating with your for yourself and like deal mm-hmm. 
with going to the doctor is important too. I talk to a lot of warriors that get, you get like burnt out of doing it and you, and sometimes you just need like a break. And I think that oftentimes as chronic illness warriors, we can feel guilty doing that. Like we're causing our own flare ups or, or making Mm -hmm. it worse in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I would love to just like, whoever's listening to this, like you have permission to take time off of going to the doctor and like just focusing on getting your mental state functioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there can be so like, at one time I wrote down all, I called them the ologists, like wrote down all the ologists that I had been to see for this pelvic pain situation. (laughs) And it's, you know, not only a financial burden, but you're taking time off of work to go see all these different doctors. And yeah, sometimes you just have to say, okay, I have to stop doing all of this. And I have to just like wrap my head around just being for now, like just take the time to just not do it for a little bit because we spend a lot of time and money seeing all the different ologists. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. The ologist. So true. Yeah. 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 It's a huge financial burden. I mean, even if you have insurance, we all know like insurance in America isn't the greatest. And it that in itself is a huge financial burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be also like it's kind of like it's kind of a stigma. I mean, I'm 39 years old and I have all these different doctors that I see that are a part of my care team. And that that kind of has a shame element with it too. Like, I don't want to have all these doctors. I don't want to feel like I'm an, a sick person. I don't, I don't like that I have to have to choose this path, but like, that is my path. Um, and so, you know, I, I need off work to go to a different doctor. No, it's not the same one as last week. It's a new, it's a different one. And, you know, I've got to pay this copay and that copay. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot, but it's so reassuring and encouraging that there are endo doctors and specialists out there and you'll know when you find them. I mean, I knew instantly when I found Dr. Goff and I mean, it just, it was like, it was aligned. The stars were aligned and, and, and he was able to help me. Um, so yeah, take the mental breaks that you need, but like, don't give up don't give up because there will be someone somewhere that can help you. Yes. Yes. That is such an important point. I totally agree with that. Like there's definitely not enough uh, true and no specialists, but they are out there. And the yeah, whole- there's not one in my entire state. <laughs> is- not one. Like, like all- I couldn't believe that. Right. That's absolutely insane. It really is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is. Well, I think that this was a really great episode and I definitely think that our listeners will be taking some good points away with them and definitely some encouragement and comfort and knowing that they aren't alone. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That's, that was, that was what motivated me to do it, um, to reach out to you in the beginning and, um, kind of this all is fresh on my mind because I'm, you know, fresh out of surgery and just kind of really starting the process, even though I've been dealing with it for so long. So I just wanted to get this info out and 
while it was still fresh um, on my mind. I thank you so much for doing that, especially, yeah, so fresh three weeks post-op. Like, I, you are a true warrior. Um, you have definitely <laughs> inspired me and helped shift my perspective on things too. And I really appreciate what you brought to the podcast. And I, one of the things that I'm definitely going to take away is like how you said, you know, getting diagnosed and having excision surgery was almost like a starting point. And I think mm -hmm. for so long, I felt like that was, you know, like a, almost a finish line or like a, mm -hmm. um, a lap marker. Of mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I really like that. I like that you are looking at that as kind of like the beginning part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's the beginning of having confirmation of having, you know, this disease and carrying on from there. Right. Yeah. Putting it in that backpack. <laughs> yes. In the backpack. It's heavy. It's a heavy backpack, but it's yeah. all right. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to thank you for this podcast. You were one of the first podcasts when I just, I literally pulled up Apple podcasts, typed in endometriosis and just started going through the list. Um, and I found yours and have just gotten a lot of information and encouragement and answers from listening to your podcast. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that too. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Thank you so, so much. That brings tears to my eyes. Like that just <laughs> so much, you know, I, like we've talked about, you can really like lose your purpose in this journey and being here and being part of our community and doing things like this podcast has really given me a sense of purpose back. So I yeah. Yeah, I love you, that. Thank you. And I appreciate you listening and tuning in and being here. I'm just so thankful. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Recover well. I'm sending you. All so right. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Best Worst Club podcast. If you could do us the biggest favor and help us reach more endo warriors please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. And take a selfie of you listening or a screenshot and share it on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next week, Endo Warrior.